invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus 16. Hear now the reading of God's Word. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. And then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coal to fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger Seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of the meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself, for his house, and for all the assembly of Israel. And then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over all of it the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free. In the wilderness. Then in verse 29. 
And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. And then verse 34, And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Will you pray with me this morning? Our Father, we come before you desiring to come into your presence. And we hear a text here of what does it mean to come into the presence of Almighty God. I pray that you would help us see in this text the beauty of the atonement. I pray that you would help us see in this text the beauty of Christ. I pray that you would help us to see in this text what he has done on our behalf by looking far back into time and what you have provided in atonement. I pray for these, my brothers and sisters, that you would bless their understanding. And I pray that you would glorify yourself this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning, Faith Community Church. It's good to see you this morning, to gather around the Word, to worship, to be in fellowship one with another. I want to begin this morning with a question, much like Pastor Logan did last week with a question. And he began with a question, is God knowable? Can the finite mind truly and understand the infinite God? How do we know the unfathomable God? And we know from that text last week in John, we know God through Christ. You want to know what God is like? Look at Christ. This morning I want to continue and ask another question. What does it mean to enter into the presence of the living God? What does it mean to draw near to the sovereign of the universe, to the king of kings, the creator and the sustainer of everything? What must we reckon with in our own minds and understandings when we approach God? Go one step further in your thinking. It's not just a matter, a question of what does it mean to draw near to Almighty God, but consider that you and I are not without sin. Today, you and I have sinned either in thought or word or deed. We have sins of omission. We have not done what we know we are to do. We have sins of commission. We have done what we ought not to do. And so how do we draw near to God? Or maybe a better question is this. How does a sinner draw near to God? I think this text this morning reveals God's expectations for that. God's expectations for the nation of Israel, the old covenant community in their worship. How do they draw near to God? And my prayer this morning is that we would once again be reminded of the transcendent majesty, the holiness of God, and the necessity of atonement to enter into his presence. That, As the author of Hebrews tells us, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified by blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
this is the theme that runs through this text. The only way to approach or draw near to God, the only way to draw near or approach an infinitely holy, infinitely pure, infinitely righteous God, the only way is through substitute sacrifice. Substitute sacrifice. The theme of substitutionary sacrifice, the theme of atonement. The outline this morning is pretty straightforward. We start with a solemn prologue. A solemn prologue. We will see the sacrifice for atonement, and then we will say, see a sending away of sin. Solemn prologue, a sacrifice for atonement, and a sending away of sin. But what about Leviticus? I dare say that some of us, when we come to this portion of our reading, in our annual Bible reading, we wonder, what do we do with Leviticus? What do we do with Leviticus? What's the context of this book? Of course, we know it follows on the heels of Exodus. It's sandwiched between Exodus and Numbers. Exodus tells us how God saved Israel through signs and wonders, saved Israel out of Egypt. And then Numbers tells us how God saved Israel how the saved community should organize themselves as they enter into the promised land. It's in between Exodus and Numbers. In Exodus, God saves Israel, gives them the law at Mount Sinai, gives them instructions for the tabernacle that he might dwell with them. Exodus 25, God says this, Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst. Exodus 29, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. Exodus gives us the where of worship, the tabernacle. Leviticus follows Exodus and it gives the Israelites how of worship. The how of worship. How was Israel to worship this God who dwelt among them? How were they to do that? Leviticus gives Israel specific instructions on the sacrificial system, on the priestly duties, and on laws for cleanliness and holiness. So chapter 16, our text this morning, is the capstone of the first half of the book of Leviticus. It brings together all of the preceding material, All of that about the sacrifices, all about the priestly duties, all about the need for cleanliness. It is the day of atonement, as your text probably says in its heading. A day most sacred and special in the Israelite calendar. In Leviticus 23, later in the book, we learn that this is one of the appointed feasts. It's one of the autumn festivals, along with the Feast of Booths. It's a holy convocation. To the people of Israel, it was a Sabbath of solemn rest. As one commentator notes, it was a call or a summons to a national gathering for public worship. In fact, Orthodox Jews still celebrate it today, and you may see it on your calendars as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And in verse 34 there, we read at the end, This shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once a year because of all of their sins. And before we get too much further along, I want to make sure we 
think about this text and who it is addressed to. This text is addressed to Moses, and through it, Moses addresses the priestly class. Moses addresses Aaron, the high priest. This text is not given to a common, everyday Israelite. It's given to the high priest, and we need to think about this text in light of the audience. Yet, by listening in on these instructions, by listening in on what, God's require, what God requires, we learn a great deal about who God is. We learn about the nature of his presence. We learn about his requirement for holiness. We learn about what sacrifice means. We learn that sin pollutes everything it touches. We learn that blood must be shed in order to atone for and cleanse sin. And we can draw conclusions as New Testament Christians from this text. We are people of the book, all of it. And so we look at this text and we see how does it shed light on Jesus Christ and on the atonement. So let's look at the text. We begin with a solemn prologue. Entering into the presence of the Lord is a serious matter, a solemn prologue. Look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place, inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he might not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. The tone for the entire chapter is set with these two verses. We're reminded that this instruction comes right on the heels of the death of Aaron's two sons. Well, what's that? Turn in your Bibles back to Leviticus chapter 10. Real quickly, just so we can see the context, Leviticus chapter 10. The first three verses tell us what is happening. Leviticus 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized, some of your versions may say strange, unauthorized or strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. What is happening here? Chapters 8 through 10 talk about the consecration and the ordination of the priests. 8 through 10. So here in 10, we see what is happening with the priests. Right before this, in chapter 9, Aaron has just offered what is considered one of the first offerings, the first sacrifices to the Lord. He's been given instructions. He offers the first sacrifices. If you look at 9, starting in verse 23, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And 9.24 says this, And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Note the intensity of the, of the moment. 
A fire is blazing. People have shouted. They've fallen on their faces. They've shouted. The the word there is they've actually shouted with joy. There's joy that God has accepted this first sacrifice. That's the picture. God has accepted the first sacrifice. They've shouted with joy. They've fallen on their faces in holy fear and in trembling and in worship. And then the two sons of Aaron come along, Nadab and Abihu, and they offer strange fire. The text says unauthorized fire before the Lord, and what happened? They were consumed by the fire of the Lord. The very fire that had come down to consume that offering blazed forth and consumed the two sons of Aaron. They were not struck dead. They were not killed. They were consumed. They were devoured is the word. They were eaten up. Note God's declaration through Moses then in chapter 10, verse 3. Among those who draw near me, those who draw near, those who approach me, I will be sanctified. I will be glorified. God will be be treated as sacred. God will be treated as set apart. God will be given the honor that is due his name. This is a solemn prologue indeed. To draw near to the presence of the Lord is a serious matter. These were priests. They of all people should know to be extremely careful entering into the presence of the Lord. Commentators aren't exactly certain the nature of Nadab and Abihu's sin here. It's probably one of two things. They either took the wrong coals from the wrong fire and they used that, or they took the wrong incense. They mixed the incense incorrectly in a way that God had not prescribed. And they brought forth this fire, this strange fire, and God consumed them. So at the very minimum, they approached the Lord in an improper way. They did not honor Yahweh. They did not display him as glorious or set apart. They did not give him the honor that was due his name. And this is our context. So back to chapter 16. God is telling Aaron that the priest cannot come at any time he wants into the holy place. There are certain procedures, there are certain precautions that must take place inside the veil before the mercy seat. Why? Verse 2, so that he will not die. Note the location in verse 2, before the mercy seat, inside the veil. This is the holy of holies. This is the inner portion of the tabernacle inside the veil. This was the location of Yahweh's special presence where his glory descended in the tabernacle, his glory above the outstretched wings of the cherubim on top of the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. This was his special presence. And so in light of the death of Nadab and Abihu, in light of the potential death for Aaron, we return to our initial question. How shall one approach the living God? How can a sinner draw near to God? A solemn prologue. The text answers this question in this way. Only by sacrifice for atonement. Only by sacrifice for atonement. So we continue. A solemn prologue. And now we see sacrifices for atonement. The lengthiest section in this chapter is verses 3 through 19. 
It is both summary and detail about how atonement is to be made. In verses 3 through 10, there's a summary command of God to Aaron about animals and attire, what he must wear and the animals he must bring. And then in verses 11 through 19, there are specific instructions about how atonement is made, for what and for whom atonement is made, and why atonement must be made. There are a lot of details in this chapter. But what we will see is that atonement is made for three entities. Three entities. Specifically, atonement must be made for the priest, for the tabernacle, and for the people. And before we get too much further into this, we need to stop and think about the word atonement. This first time you see this in verse 6, what is atonement? This word is used 47 times in the book of Leviticus. It's the theme of Leviticus, or at least one of them. In chapter 17, verse 10, God says this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you, given it, the blood, to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. You and I live in God's world. You and I live in God's economy. This is the way God has designed things. It is by the blood that atonement is made. Atonement involves a large swath of theological thoughts. Atonement involves shedding blood. Atonement involves sacrifice and death. It means that a death has taken place in a substitutionary way so that someone else might be able to live. Atonement involves a ransom price. A price is paid. A death has occurred. A study of the Old Testament would reveal that the shedding of blood results in forgiveness of sins, results in reconciliation. When atonement has been made on a sinner's behalf, God's wrath toward that sin is removed. Big theological word, propitiation. A sacrifice of atonement that turns away God's wrath. And therefore, the sinner can be reconciled to God. There is much going on in the word atonement, but for our purposes, we need to think of atonement as covering sin, atonement as forgiveness of sin, atonement as shedding blood and substitution. And so we look at the priest, look at verses 3 through 6. Aaron must enter the holy place, the tabernacle, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, and he must wear the holy garments that are appropriate for this service. He must bathe himself with water, and he will do this. Look at verse 6. He shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. The priest was not without sin. And so he has to offer sacrifices for his own sin and the sins of his household. He has to wear certain garments if you look at verses 4, 3, and 4. These are not the luxurious stately robes and the attire that are described in Exodus 28. It's not the rich ornamentation of the cape and the breastplate and the like. These are simple linen garments. Theologically speaking, on this solemn day of atonement, the priest approaches the presence of God in humble attire, not with pomp and not with pretense. As one commentator notes, it's in the presence of God, even the high priest is stripped of all honor. He becomes simply the servant of the king of kings. 
whose true status is portrayed in the simplicity of his dress. The animals, the attire that he comes into the presence of the Lord. And what of the people? What of the congregation? If you look at verse 5, what animal must be brought? And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Two goats and a ram. And then if you pick it up in verses 7 through 10, what shall he do with these two goats? He shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and he shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for Azazel. And the one lot that is presented to the Lord, he will use it as a sin offering. But the other one, now casting lots, just as a side note, that might be what we consider like throwing some sort of dice, trusting in the sovereign hand of God to move those dice. And one lot falls to Azazel and one lot falls to the Lord. The one that falls to the Lord, that goat is sacrificed as a sin offering. The one that falls to Azazel, what does it say? But the goat, verse 10, the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that may, it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. What is that, Azazel? It is, there's two options most commentators land on. One is that it is just a compound word for goat that goes away, Azazel, the goat that goes away, a scapegoat. That's where we get the word scapegoat, a goat of going away. It could also mean the wilderness, a fierce place, a hard place. If you notice at the end of verse 10, it says, be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. The literal translation of the word Azazel means entire removal, something that is entirely removed. And so we can take all of this and we conclude that somehow there is a scapegoat. There is a live goat that goes away, that bears sin away, entirely removes this, the congregation's sin to a desolate and a remote and a fierce place. That's the idea. And so through verse 10, we see summary instructions about the priestly duties, about the garments, and about the animals. And then we come to verse 11 through 19, and we have specific instructions. Aaron cannot come, verse 11, into the presence of God without sacrifice. He must bring the bull for atonement, verse 11, for himself and for his house. And then notice in verses 12 and 13 where he goes. Verse 12. And he shall take a censer, censer full of coals from fire, of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil. Inside the veil. He has now entered the most holy place, the holy of holies. Verse 13, and he's going to put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony. Why? So that he does not die. When was the last time we talked about someone filling a censer full of incense? It was Aaron's two sons who were consumed by the fire of the Lord. Think what must be going on in Aaron's mind right now. The very thing that destroyed my sons is the very thing God is commanding me to do. God is commanding me to offer, offer proper fire, not strange fire, not foreign fire, Why? so that he does not die. Remember, this holy of holies, this most holy place is the special presence of God. He must come carefully before the Lord. 
This is his special habitation. In fact, some commentators look at the Holy of Holies as the throne room of God. He has entered into the throne room of God Almighty. He must tread carefully. And then verses 14 through 19 tell us the detailed nature of the actual blood sacrifices. What happens with the blood? Verse 14. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat. And on the east side, in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. He's sprinkling the blood seven times. And then what does he do in the next verse? He takes the blood of the goat for the people. And he does the same thing. He sprinkles it seven times. And note the statement on verse 16. Why should he do this? Verse 16. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses, plural, of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. The tent of meeting that dwells in the midst of their uncleannesses. He shall make atonement for these places with the blood of the bull and the blood of goats. Look at verse 18. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times. Same method at the end of verse 19 why to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of israel do you see what is happening do you see what must take place aaron must make atonement for the holy place he must make atonement for the tent of meeting there at the end of verse 16 and he must make atonement for the altar itself in verse 18 All three places, all three objects must have blood sprinkled on them seven times to make atonement for them. Why must atonement be made? Verse 16, verse 19. Because of all of their transgressions, all their sins. The fact that these places dwell in the midst of Israel's uncleannesses. The tent of meeting was set up and constructed in the middle of the camp. Atonement needed to be made for it and for the holy place and for the altar. The sins, the uncleannesses dwelt in their midst. Here is rich theology. Do you remember from Exodus, when I read earlier, God desires to and will dwell among his people. And that is the significance of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Build me a sanctuary that I might dwell among my people. But there is a problem. God is not like us. God is infinitely holy. He is infinitely pure. He is infinitely righteous. He alone dwells in immortality. He alone dwells in unapproachable light, as Paul tells us later. Psalm 104, God is clothed with splendor and majesty. He covers himself with light as with a garment. And the question is, how shall one approach this living God? How can a sinner draw near to God? God wraps himself in light. You and I and Israel are wrapped in pollution, tainted with sin. Sin has polluted us. 
in Leviticus, this is a theme that comes out in the whole book of Leviticus, a person can either be ritually or ceremonially unclean. It's a common word, unclean, either by sinful action, one can be unclean, or by circumstance, one can be unclean. So, for instance, touching a dead animal would make one unclean, either by sinful action or by circumstance, skin disease, circumstance, one is unclean. And due to this fact, cleansing has to take place on a regular basis. As one commentator notes, the unclean and the holy are two states which must never come into contact with one another. Contact between uncleanness and holiness is disastrous. Aaron is unclean. The people are unclean. The places are unclean. The camp is unclean. Years later, the prophet Isaiah is confronted with this fact. Do you remember Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah sees the Lord seated on his throne, high and lifted up, the, the, the train of his robe filling the temple, the seraphim flying around, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The foundations shake. The temple, the temple is filled with smoke. And what is Isaiah's cry? Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm destroyed. I'm ruined. And I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. It's the same word. Back to our text, verse 16, the triple description of sin. It's not just uncleannesses, plural, but it's also transgression and sin. It's a triple description. It could be read this way. The sins of their transgressions, their uncleannesses. The sins of their transgressions. What is that? Well, think about it this way. Sometimes in our transgressions, we commit multiple sins. If a person is angry, they may be guilty of impatience. They may be guilty of being unloving. They may be, be guilty of being ungrateful or violent or worse. Multiple sins underneath our transgressions. And so this text is saying, because of all of the sins, because of all of the uncleannesses, the pollution, the defilement, because of this, then atonement must be made not only for the people, but for the places as well. And in this case, atonement, the blood of sacrifices, has a cleansing effect. Atonement in this case is that the pollution and the uncleanness and the defilement is washed away. But what about the sin? So, so the pollution is washed away, the uncleanness is... But what about the sin? The answer is this. The sin is not just cleansed, but even more so, it is removed. Look at verse 20. A solemn prologue, a sacrifice, the sacrifices of atonement, and now the sending away of sin. Look at verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. A summary statement here at verse 20. 
acting as a hinge to the rest of the chapter. All that has come before, when he finishes this, then this. It's as though there's a crescendo coming. Once atonement has been made, then, then he shall present the live goat. Aaron must confess over it. Verse 21, lay his, both of his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The threefold description comes back. Do you see it? All their iniquities, all their transgressions, all their sins. Aaron as the high priest, representing the people. Between God and man, mediating between God and man. He lays symbolically all of the sins of Israel on the head of this live goat. And a handler is at the ready, verse 22. Well, at the end of verse 21. In verse 22, the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. The goat is sent away into a desolate place, to Azazel, to a hard, a severe place, bearing on itself all of the sins of Israel, all of their iniquities, all of their transgressions. Their iniquities Walk out of the camp. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that must have been like? Sin is sent away. Sin is sent outside the camp, away from the presence of God, away from the community, never more to be seen. The handler himself takes the goat out into the wilderness, and eventually he lets it go. And he comes back into the camp. We didn't read that. He comes back to the camp. The goat's gone. Their sins are gone. They're out of sight. They've walked out of the camp. Maybe that's what David was thinking when he penned Psalm 103. He does not, he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from him. Maybe David was thinking of the Day of Atonement when the goat leaves the camp, bearing on it all of the sins and the iniquities of Israel. Atonement has been made. Blood has been spilled. The holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar are clean. The camp is clean. The people are clean. Sin has been removed. We skipped over 23 through 28, and this deals with the burnt offerings. But I want to pick it up again in verse 29. 29 through 34 provides a helpful summary of the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a solemn day of rest. It was a Sabbath rest in which there was to be no work. It was a time of humility. You see that. It says you must afflict yourselves, verse 29. It means to fast or to abstain from certain activities. And it was perpetual. It was celebrated once a year, but it was celebrated every year forever. 
in verse 30, for, this, for on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. So what do you do with a text like this? It's written to the priests, the high priests of Israel. What do we do as New Testament Christians with this text? I think we start with the people of Israel first. And I want you to think about this. How would a common Israelite think about this day? What would daily life have been like? I think there was likely joy and wonder at the thought that God himself desires to dwell among us, dwell in our camp. And every day I wake up and I see that tabernacle, and it's a daily reminder that God desires to dwell among my people. There's this special presence of God in our midst. But that joy and wonder was probably mixed with fear and dread. Living in the midst of the camp with the knowledge of your sin and the continuous reality of uncleanness and pollution that your sin brings. And not only your sin, but the sins of your family, the sins of your neighbors, all of it piling up. All of it blocking you from entering into the Lord's presence. How does someone enter into the presence of God? Well, God gave graciously. He gave animal sacrifices. So a person could be reconciled to him through animal sacrifice, but the person was daily confronted with death and blood. An animal had to die in order for me to live. There was a substitution. And so, there was one day. There was one day every year to look forward to. One day when you knew that all of your sins would be forgiven and you would be clean from the Lord from all your sin. That's verse 30. One day when the high priest would stand before God and sacrifice on your behalf to cleanse the camp and to cleanse you of your sin. One day when you could watch your sins symbolically walk out of the camp. A Sabbath rest. A day of no work. A day of atonement. Yes! What a day! What a day of anticipation! It's coming. It's coming. And yet, I would think at least two other things might be going through your mind. One, can a goat really bear away my sin? Can the blood of bulls and goats really be effective in forgiving my sin? My conscience is plagued with my sin. And what about tomorrow? The sad fact that I will sin again when the sun comes up. You think about that. The Day of Atonement has arrived. The day has been celebrated. All of the wonderful things that happen. And you wake up tomorrow. 
I'm a year away from the next day of atonement. Can you imagine being overwhelmed with the thought that my sin and everyone else's sin, we still have another year to go. The author of Hebrews captures this. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. But what if? What if there was one sacrifice that would take away sin forever? One sacrifice that would satisfy all my debt, cleanse all my pollution. What if there was? What if there was a perfect substitute for me? Not a bull, not a goat, but a better sacrifice. What what if? And what if I didn't have to wait until next year? The Israelite would have to have the eyes of faith to see and to believe that something better was coming. Someone better was coming. And what about you and me today? Someone has come. Jesus. Christ has come. He has come as the perfect high priest. He has come as the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, the one who is like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a faithful and merciful high priest in the service of God. Why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus has come, not as a goat, but as the Lamb of God. Jesus has come as the perfect tabernacle. Jesus has come to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice. Three thoughts. Jesus is the perfect high priest. He holds the priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And he is able to save to the uttermost, to the uttermost, those who draw near. How do you draw near? Those who draw near to God through him. He has no need like those priests to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people since he did this once for all. When he offered up himself, Hebrews 7, how does a sinner draw near to Christ? Or how does a sinner draw near to God? Through Christ. He is the high priest. Jesus is the pure and perfect tabernacle. Hebrews 9, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Praise God. 
How does a sinner draw near to God? Through the perfect, pure tabernacle of Christ. Finally, Jesus is the perfect substitute sacrifice. Again, Hebrews 9. Pastor Kevin read much of this. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more? With the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How much more? The Day of Atonement was a yearly reminder. It happened every year because full atonement was never made. We sang the song, full atonement, can it be? Year after year. But brothers and sisters, the day, the day, the day of atonement has come. And it came 2,000 years ago on a hill called Golgotha outside the city of Jerusalem. When Jesus Christ, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, was slain, crucified on the cross, dead and buried, risen again three days later, exalted to the right hand of God, the true sacrifice of atonement for your sins and for mine. Brothers and sisters, look again to Christ. Look again to Christ. We have a great high priest. Let us draw near with confidence. How do you draw near with confidence? Why? Because of Christ. Because of what he's done. Because of full atonement. And if you do not know Christ, you are, as this text says, you are unclean. And it is a precarious place to be unclean before a holy God. And so look to Christ. If you do not know, may I plead with you, look to Christ. Trust Christ. Repent of your sins and come to the cleansing fountain of Christ's blood. Full atonement can be yours. Let us draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace in our time of need because of Christ. You pray with me. Oh, Father, what a glorious reminder in the way you set things up to prepare the way for Christ. The pictures that you give us, the picture that you gave Israel, the pictures that you give us to look ahead to Christ, and now we can look purely at Christ and his atonement. Thank you for this text. I pray that you would help us, you would renew us, you would stir our affections for Christ, for all that he has done. That we would draw near 
when we're reminded of our sins, when our conscience plagues us of our sins, we would draw near to Christ because of his perfect substitutionary sacrifice. Oh, Father, would you bless your people this morning and in the coming days and weeks as we reflect on this, even as we look ahead to Resurrection Sunday next month, would you bless us? Would you glorify your name? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this last song.